0: weekend coming up. Uh, we have new folks in our church that have said to me, hey, when are you guys having another class? What does it take to join this church? And so we're going to be having an Inquirer members weekend uh, within the next probably month and a half. That's a Friday night and a Sunday afternoon where we go through the distinctives of Redeemer, the theology of Redeemer, and what it means to be a member. So if you're interested in being a part of that, if you would just fill this out, I'd like more information on the Enquirer's members weekend and just stick that in the uh, in the uh, plate as it goes around we'll make sure to get you an email and informa- uh, some email information about that I think that announcement is very pertinent because I want to talk about um, entry into different clubs and the qualifications that you need to be a part of different organizations I'm sure as an esteemed group like this is a part of a variety of different organizations and as you know they're different qualifications that are necessary depending on what sort of organization you want to be a part of. Some organizations require you to be qualified on the basis of merit. So if you were in high school and you wanted to be a part of the uh, National Honor Society, for instance, there would be certain qualifications that you would need. Maybe if you wanted to join a country club in the community, uh, there's a money qualification. You need to have the entrance fee and be able to pay the monthly dues in order to be a part of that country club. There's some um, qualifications based on merit, on money, uh, even on gender. I don't know if you've heard of the uh, group the Daughters of the American Revolution. Now I'm pretty sure my family was not involved with the American Revolution and even if they were, I'm certainly not a daughter of it. And so I do not qualify to be part of the Daughters of the American Revolution. I have my own standards of any group that I am going to be a part of. They, they're simply this, that I will never join a group that would allow a person like me to be a member of. <laughs> which is very difficult because that disqualifies me for every group that I would qualify for. But we're not here to talk about any group that one qualifies for. We're here to talk about the kingdom of God. Because this sermon really talks about who qualifies and who is disqualified from being, from entering into the kingdom of God. Now, if you'll remember, we talked last week about what is the kingdom of God, because it's a difficult concept that Jesus, the core of his gospel message was that he came and said, the the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news that I have come to preach the gospel or the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus has come to inaugurate a kingdom. But the kingdom of God is not simply the area that God rules over, for he rules over the earth. But rather, it is the people that he saves. That Jesus has come to rescue a people and to bring them into his kingdom. And the good news is that he has come to rescue rather than to condemn Jesus has inaugurated a spiritual kingdom on planet earth right now that resides and grows in the hearts of men as he annexes territory and will ultimately culminate in the physical manifestation of the kingdom of God when God comes as the Lion of Judah to subdue all of his enemies and the kingdom of God will reign over every square inch of the earth. But this particular passage Answers the question, who qualifies to be a part of the kingdom of God? Who is it that he chooses? Who is eligible to enter into this kingdom? And the answer is quite simple. It's really the core of this entire sermon. The kingdom of God belongs to the unaccomplished, the unqualified, and the overlooked. These are the people who qualify to enter into the kingdom of God. The unaccomplished the unqualified, and the overlooked. And we're going to show how Jesus demonstrates this in the next short time that we have together of three, three and a half hours. We're going to look at three specific points. Number one, the disciples' rebuke. The disciples had something to say about these kids that were coming to Jesus. Then we're going to look at the second point, the rebuke of the disciples. Jesus rebukes the rebukers. And finally, he finishes with the lesson, not only for the disciples, but for all of us. Because the kingdom of God belongs to the unaccomplished, the unqualified, and the overlooked. Well, let's begin with the disciples' rebuke. The passage starts out with verse 13, and they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. Now, I want to set the stage of what's going on here. It actually says uh, that they were continually bringing, this is not an isolated incident, but rather they were continuously continuously bringing. Jesus is preaching probably in a house based on the context and a line begins to form outside the door. It's uh, as people are bringing their children to come to this rabbi. Lest you think that this is a collection of women and their babies, the, the Greek actually is in the masculine. So it's not only women who are bringing babies, but men and women who are bringing their children. And the Greek word for the children, it's not only babies, but it is children as well, up to age 12. So you have babies that are coming to be blessed, but infants and toddlers and young children as well who are lining out the door, if you will, around the block that Jesus might touch them. And other Uh, scripture tells us that he might give them a blessing. He might bless them. We need to understand a little bit of the culture of the ancient and even the contemporary Jewish culture. That when a rabbi came to town, a teacher of the law, the people would bring children to the rabbi, that the rabbi might bless them and touch them. You even see this in contemporary Jewish culture. If you've watched Fiddler on the Roof, uh, you see this actually happening—a uh, blessing for the children, and so this ever-popular rabbi, Jesus, who is increasing in his renown, comes to this place, and the line begins to form. And it says that as they were lined up and as Jesus was blessing them, that they might that he might bless them, something simultaneously is occurring. As they are bringing the children the disciples are simultaneously rebuking them. This is not a one-time rebuke, mind you, but it is a, they were rebuking them. It is as continuous as the people who are bringing the children. So as they're bringing the children, the disciples are rebuking them, going down the line, if you will, communicating to them that they are not welcome. They're grumbling, they're, posturing they're communicating look the teacher is busy he has a lot to do I don't know if he's going to have time to get to you and Jesus blesses another one of them and the line gets even longer and the disciples temper gets even shorter they continue to dissuade the people that there really isn't a place right now for you Jesus is busy they're saying in many uncertain terms very interesting the disciples who are supposed to be bridges to Jesus actually are functioning as walls and gates they're hindering the people these people and their children from coming now there's a bit of an irony to this entire picture because the basis upon which the disciples are saying you're don't the teacher doesn't have time for you is based on their unimportance And yet, if you look at this collection of disciples that Jesus has gathered around him, they were the original unimportant ones, were they not? We've got a collection of fishermen, small businessmen, tax collectors, and zealots. Not exactly the cream of the crop. Certainly those who have been passed over already by the rabbis in religious society. And yet, Jesus has drawn them to himself. He has said that you are welcome, that I want to spend time with you. And now that they are in the club, so to speak, they are simultaneously putting out their hand and saying the club is full. There's no more time for you. The disciple, uh, the, uh, the rabbi is busy with important things. Now, we can get a better hand on the disciples thinking just by looking at the scripture around uh, this particular passage. Because this is Mark 10.13, but just uh, one chapter earlier in Mark 9.32, the disciples were arguing on the road. And Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about? And no one would say, because they were arguing about who was the greatest. Notice they weren't arguing about who is the most loved, or who is the most gracious, or the most humble. But who is the greatest? Who has the most status, if you will, in the kingdom of God? Then shortly thereafter in Mark 9.38, they come across a man who is driving out demons in the name of Jesus. And what do they do? They tell him to stop. And they go and they report to Jesus. Teacher, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. In other words, he's not qualified to do this. He's not qualified to act in your name and do these miraculous things, even good things. And they come to Jesus expecting him to say, good job, well done. It's exactly what you were supposed to do. But Jesus does nothing of the sort, does he? Just a little bit later in 1046 of this chapter, we shall see the disciples leading a crowd and they come upon a blind man, blind Bartimaeus, if you will, is his name. And he cries out the top of his lungs, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they say, quiet, keep it down. But Jesus hears and says, bring him to me. What is going on in these disciples' hearts? Jesus' response tells us a little bit about that in Mark ten fourteen, But when Jesus saw it, Meaning, he saw what the disciples were doing. He was indignant. This word indignant is a very strong word in the Greek. In a physical sense, it means uh, bubbling over or fermenting. I don't know if you've seen when something comes to a boil, if you will, and the bubbles start to uh, bubble up. In respect to the soul, it means to be seething and irritated like the gums of a child who is cutting their teeth. Jesus is angry. He's seething. Why is he indignant at the disciples? Because once again, they are missing the point of who Jesus is about. Their focus is on the things of man and not on the things of God. And even worse than their heart of hearts is the effect that they're having on the other people around, that they're dissuading people who are turning away because of them. What are the disciples doing? They're turning Jesus into a club, a club in terms of who's in and who's out. And they are the gatekeepers, they decide who enters in, who qualifies, who has the characteristics. And they have utterly forgotten what Jesus is all about and what he was about in their lives. Because they're looking at man and they're not looking at God. They're applying their standards of qualification and membership on a kingdom that acts nothing like it. It's true in our world that we admire the strong and the beautiful and the rich and the powerful. But the kingdom of God is nothing like that, is it? The kingdom of God says that if you would be great, you must be a servant. And he who would be first must be last. Jesus reaches out to the prostitute and the tax collector, the leper and the sinner, the forgotten, the disappointed, the disheartened, the discouraged, The disciples are acting in the exact opposite way. You know, if you want to know the best film in the last three years, this is what I think is the best film in the last three years. Won't You Be My Neighbor? Anybody see it, the uh, the biography of Mr. Rogers? was very interesting. I think it got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And it was universally well-loved and accepted by liberal outlets, and conservative outlets alike. Now what you may not know about Mr. Rogers is he was a conservative Presbyterian minister. Actually one of those Presbyterian ministers that actually believe in Jesus and that the Bible actually is the word of God. It's You never know with these guys. He was one of those guys. And he, uh, after graduating seminary and being ordained to the Presbytery, he had a vision to start a program that reached out to nurture and care for young kids. The the programming, TV people said that's ridiculous, it's a forgotten demographic, there's no money in it, no one will be interested in it. But that was his heart, he started it in 1968, and it grew to be a a worldwide success. I mean, many of us uh, grew up watching Mr. Rogers. You know, it's so interesting in our cynical age, as we see you know, people, uh, you know, uh, the Pee Wee Hermans of the day and people have been exposed, we look at Mr. Rogers and go, what is the catch? There's got to be something wrong here. The beauty of this program is that there's no catch. He just loved Jesus and he loved kids. It's a real powerful scene. I think it's in the movie. I've, I've read up uh, some on Mr. Rogers, so I can't remember. It's it's 1986, he's in New York, and he's, and he's giving kind of a seminar or a gathering. There's a 1,000 people that have come together, uh, parents, kids, to see Mr. Rogers. And this woman gets up, about 15 rows back, and she starts sharing about her daughter. And she says, my daughter grew up watching your show, and she begins to choke up as she shares that her daughter is grown and that she's going through a painful divorce. And, and the woman actually chokes up and stops. She can't talk anymore. She can't communicate. And what does Mr. Rogers do? He comes down off the podium. He walks to her. He's about this close to her, eye to eye, looking into her eyes and he just hugs her. Thousand people. I mean, he's important, he's a keynote speaker. Why not say a nice word and get on with the next, right? Mr. Rogers didn't see crowds, he just saw individuals. Jesus was like that, wasn't he? Because there's no such thing as a Jesus club for the qualified. Sometimes I wonder about me and us. If we evaluate people like the disciples, oh, he would never be interested in hearing about Jesus. She's not qualified. Jesus wouldn't be interested. You know, I love our church. I love the fellowship and the love that we have for one another. We have a good thing going. It's nice to come in here and be loved and cared for. But sometimes I wonder, are we bridge builders? Or are we gatekeepers? I cannot help but notice that unbelievers don't really come to Redeemer. Usually when we get new people come to Redeemer, it's because they're moving into town or they're transferring, they're looking for another church and that's wonderful and good. But do we care about people like Jesus cared about people? (coughs) Now don't misunderstand me. I know it's hard to invite someone to church. We live in such a polarized environment that if you even name the name Jesus, people can get mad at you. But let's make sure that if people aren't coming, they're not coming for the right reason. Not because we didn't invite them, but because we disqualified them. Well, let's talk about the rebuke of the disciples. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, what is Jesus saying here? Now, here might be a typical sermon that you hear about this passage. The disciples were mean to the children. Jesus was nice to the children. So, if you want to be like Jesus, be nice to the children. And that's nice. Let's pray. (laughs) It's very pretty, it's very comfortable. Let's go to brunch. That is not what Jesus is communicating. The message is not be nice to children. Though we're supposed to be nice to children and most certainly Jesus was nice to children. Some might say that this passage is about infant baptism. Now I think there are some things that can be gleaned about infant baptism. But I quote the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon who says, this text has not the shadow of the shade of the ghost of a connection with baptism. Because this passage is primarily about entrance into the kingdom of God. Suffer the children, do not hinder them from coming to me for to such as these belongs the kingdom of God. So we need to understand what it means for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now this might be one of the translations, one of the takeaways that you have. That in order to enter the kingdom of God that I need to act like a child. Children are cute, children are cuddly, and children are innocent. So if I want to merit the kingdom of God, I need to clean up my act. I need to be more innocent. I need to be more cute and cuddly, (laughs) if that were possible. I need to be a nice person. Now, of course, this is ridiculous, right? Anyone who has had children know that children are not innocent, though they can be cute and cuddly. Anyone who has been a child before knows that children are not innocent. Children are lovely, cute, and cuddly, small, evil people. (laughs) Right? I mean, in children we see the wickedness of soul more than anyone. Right? Now I'm not talking, when children want something, they want something. I'm not talking about when they're crying because they're hungry. I'm talking about when they want that toy and they can't have it and they scream bloody murder (laughs) and life is over and they're going to bring and rain hell down upon you because they cannot have that toy. No, that's not the message. We have to understand the context if we're going to understand what's going on here. In that society, Children were not important. Children had no societal value whatsoever. It's a little bit hard for us to understand because in our context, we assign a tremendous amount of value to our children. In fact, we can, if we're not careful, wrap our entire lives around our children, right? Our whole weekend is devoted. Everything becomes around them, which is a very, very dangerous thing to do. Neither of them are correct. But back then, children had no societal value whatsoever. And Jesus is speaking in that context. What Jesus is really speaking of to become like a child is to understand the objective characteristics of children. And what do we know about children? They're small. They're weak. And they're helpless. Right? They don't own anything. They don't influence public opinion. Back then, they are in the bottom of the social order. They can't go anywhere. They can't even take care of themselves. They must be fed. They must be clothed. They must be cleaned. Left to themselves, they will starve and die because they cannot take care of themselves. They are utterly dependent on everybody else. And furthermore, they're not brave. They're easily frightened, aren't they? Remember if you've had children before when they're scared to go upstairs and scared to go to bed in a small room because it feels so large to them? Jesus is saying, let those children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. In other words, For to such, to people who share these characteristics, is precisely who the kingdom belongs to. All of those kids that are coming to Jesus in a line. I remember as a parent, when the storms would come at night and the thunder would roll, it would simply be a matter of time before there would be a tap upon my shoulder And I would look over, and there would be a diminutive child that is just about head height as I'm sleeping in my bed who is standing there. And why are they standing there? Because they're scared, and because they're lonely, and because they're nervous. And so without any pride whatsoever or shame, they come to the one who they know can comfort them and care for them. They come to their mother And their father. Jesus is speaking in a picture to such as these. He's speaking to people who can grasp that, who share those characteristics. The picture is that the kingdom of God belongs to the unaccomplished, to the unqualified, to the overlooked. And it's in smack opposite to this world. Jesus continues on with the lesson for us, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You know, when you think about it, this is a very, very hard saying, isn't it? I much prefer the look. If you act nicer and more innocent, you too can enter the kingdom of God. But Jesus is saying, if you do not become like this child, in no way will you enter the kingdom of God. To enter into the kingdom of God depends on our willingness to receive it. No one can claim it as a right. And no one can attempt to earn it as a reward. Because it's not about achieving, is it? It's about accepting for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's a gift to be received as a child. And it's a stumbling block for the proud. Remember, it's in fact, uh, Aaron did a great job reading the passage in our praying the scriptures of the rich young ruler who had everything. And he comes up to Jesus and what does he say? Oh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? That's the message of this world, and it's the message of religion. Every other one except Christianity. What must I merit accomplished in order to make it into the rarefied air of your kingdom? But that really isn't the question, is it? The question is, oh, Jesus, what will you do? to allow a person like me into your kingdom. See, that's why it's called good news. Jesus didn't come saying what you're need to do. He came saying what I have come to do. And that's why he called it good news and not good advice. Good advice is what you need to do. Good news is what's already been done. I think there's no greater picture than the incarnation, is there not? There's no ascension for you and me on a stairway up to heaven as we slowly gain traction in our ever-unending religious climb. But it's Jesus coming down, humbling himself as he demonstrated in his life what it meant to be obedient to the Father. And What about good old Nicodemus? the teacher of all Israel, who comes before Jesus. With all his wisdom, he was apparently the teacher of Israel, as the Greek says. And what does Jesus say? Unless you're born again, you'll never ever see the kingdom of God. What do you mean born again? I spent my entire life memorizing this word, ascending to my religious position, And Jesus says it's all chaff as regards coming to the kingdom of God. I wonder if some of us come to Redeemer looking to put a couple more religious marks on our report card. Some of us think we are in the kingdom of God when the reality is we're a thousand miles away because we never bowed our knees. The kingdom of God, the gates of the kingdom of God are really quite low. The only way to come in is on your knees because the kingdom of God is for the spiritually bankrupt. It's for those who do not merit, for those who do not qualify. Well, this story about the children is for all of us. All of us in this room fit in one of two categories because God humbles the proud and God lifts up the broken. We're either the proud who will be humbled or we are the broken that Christ is lifting up. There were two other people on that cross at Golgotha on that fateful day. wasn't wasn't there one who hurled insults at Jesus. If you are the son of God, save yourself and save us. And what did that other thief say? He said, we deserve to be up on this cross. And he was right. But this man has done nothing wrong. Oh, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Because you figured it out at the end, but because of the way that you've lived, I'll find a way to get you in. I'll shoehorn you, right? Surely there's got to be some space. Let me make some calls. Now Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This day you will be With me in paradise. He didn't just say this day you'll be in paradise. Yeah, you'll get in. You'll be with me in paradise. Because Jesus came for the unaccomplished, the unaccepted, and the unqualified. And truly, truly, he says to us, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall never enter it. So have you? Have you stood before Jesus like a child and said, Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. Naked I come to you for rest. Helpless I fly to thy fount. If you have, I have great news for you. Because the kingdom of God is for rejects like you and me. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are the lost ones. We're so foolish to think that on our own merits that we could come into your kingdom. And yet you bring us this beautiful news. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let us receive your kingdom like hungry, lonely, frightened, weak children with nothing in our hands and delight in our eyes. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.